Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krause is from the series, Press On. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Well, good morning. It is so good to, to be back up here. And can I just say as we get started just how blessed we are as a church to have Pastor Blake preach every four or five weeks. Was last week awesome or what? If you were here, what an awesome weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Give, give God a hand clap of praise for the way he's working through Blake. And I, I'm just so blessed to have him to know that, that I can take weeks off every four to five weeks and weeks off from preaching and uh, be able to just sit and enjoy and be ministered to. What an awesome blessing that is. I always... Um, learn something and, and grow um, through, through hearing Blake preach. So I'm just so thankful for him. Well, listen, today is St. Patrick's Day, so I thought I would open with a quick word on this holiday, because I think just like many holidays, we tend to celebrate, and we don't really know why or, or what it is that we're celebrating, you know, because St. Patrick's Day, what we think of is green, right? Millions of people will be wearing green today. I'm wearing green. Um, there'll be um, people drinking green drinks. There are sports teams. They forego their, their team colors, and they put out shirts that that have green um the green in their logo instead of their normal colors the river in chicago will be dyed green as people go to bars and restaurants to celebrate saint patrick's day we lived in milwaukee there was a restaurant there that they always served green hamburgers and green milkshakes on saint patrick's day sounds kind of gross but it's kind of cool um but we we think of that and and we wonder why do we really even celebrate saint patrick's day what is it that we're celebrating and and really kind of the celebration tends to become the thing instead of understanding what it is that, that we're even celebrating. You see, Patrick was a young man from Scotland, and when he was 16 years old, Patrick was kidnapped by barbarian Irish pirates. Maybe you didn't know that about him. So 16 years old, he's kidnapped in Scotland by these barbarian Irish pirates, and he is taken to Ireland about 200 miles inland as a prisoner and as a laborer, and he was there as a prisoner under these pirates, and, and he claimed that, that at one point, God gave him this vision of an escape route, so how he could escape. So he took that vision that God had given him, and he went the route that, that he believed that God had given him, and he actually escaped from these pirates and the imprisonment that he was under, and he went over 200 miles across the terrain, got to the um, shoreline, and as he got to the shoreline, he saw a British ship there. He got on that British ship, that ship took him home, and he was rescued from that time of being kidnapped by those pirates. Well, once he got home, he, he committed to his faith because of what God had done for him. And he became a priest. And Patrick soon felt this tremendous burden inside his soul that God was giving him for the people that had kidnapped him. So what Patrick did is he returned to Ireland, to the people that kidnapped him. He returned to that area and he went there with a mission. He had the goal of seeing Ireland receive grace through faith in Jesus. So Patrick planted many churches and he even had threats on his life. The king of Ireland at the time was threatening to, to kill him because of what he was doing, sharing the gospel of Jesus. And amidst the threats on his life, Patrick persevered to the point that he even had the opportunity and he baptized that king himself. I believe his name was King Leo Hare. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but much of Ireland converted to Christianity through the ministry of Patrick. So Patrick would become known the Apostle of Ireland. And those who knew of St. Patrick in his day knew this about him. 
And it's a prayer that he wrote that was even placed on the shields and it was placed on the breastplates of soldiers and knights as they would go out to battle. So this prayer is attributed to St. Patrick that he wrote this and it goes like this. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Now just imagine if everyone who thinks of St. Patrick today on St. Patrick's Day thought of Christ. That was Patrick's goal. That was what he wanted. That is what St. Patrick's Day should be about. So imagine if every single beer mug and every green t-shirt and every green or box of green shamrock cookies came with a copy of St. Patrick's Breastplate. I think the, the holiday would probably look a little different, wouldn't it? It would probably look a little different than, than what we know it as and how we celebrate it as. So I think it's important for us to know what St. Patrick's Day is really about. You know, I love that prayer because I think that's how God wants every Christian to live. He wants us to thank Christ in me, Christ before me, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ to my right, Christ to my left, Christ in everything I do. When you speak of me, it should be of Christ because my life is all about Christ. And that's what Paul has been teaching us as we study through this book of Philippians. He's teaching us that we press on. We have the ability, the strength to press on in life when we have the focus on Christ. That it's Christ above me and in me and through me and everything about me is Christ. You see, we're learning to press on and seek to know Christ. And that's what Paul's teaching us. Paul's continuing to impress upon the church that we too can press on when we seek Christ. So that's the, our, our focus. So as we continue through our series today, I ask you to please stand with me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. You can grab a Bible from under your chair. And um, it's also going to be on the screens for you. But Philippians chapter 3, Paul is giving us how we can continue to press on. And we're going to find out that it's all about Christ. Philippians 3, starting in verse 1, says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You can be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word as always. Now, Paul says this to the church that he pastored. In verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe 
for you. So Paul is going to remind his church as their pastor some of the things that he had taught them repeatedly over the course of many years. He's saying it's not an issue for me to repeat this to you. It's not troublesome for him to repeat the same things over and over and over again because he says these truths that I'm teaching you, they are a safeguard for you. That's what it means by they are safe for you. They are a safeguard for you. So what he's about to say to them once again is something that is going to safeguard their lives. And you've probably heard me say before that, that once you've been here for, for several months or several years, in fact, those of you that have been at Forward Church from the beginning, you know this to be true. There's nothing new, really, that I'm going to preach you, preach to you because I'm going to keep repeating the truths of God's word so that as you learn to apply those truths to your word, they become a safeguard for your lives. You see, that's what we do. We, we continue to preach Christ and to help you understand Christ and to help you know more about God's word and how to apply it to your life so that it's a safeguard to you. See, there are certain aspects of our faith that we need to continually be reminded of because we're prone to forget. We're prone to forget who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And that's exactly what Paul is reminding the church in Philippi about. He's going to remind us, too, of several important things. So he jumps right in in verse 2 and he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And that's some strong language. But when something is repeated in scripture, it's very important. So he says, look out three times in one little verse, look out, look out, look out. That word's also translated beware. So he's, he's using strong warning here to them. He's saying, beware, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So we need to know who's he talking about. Well, Paul is warning them about the same group of people with these three different descriptors here. You see, there was a group of Jewish people that were called Judaizers, and these Jewish people had become Christians. They believed in Jesus, but they were still clinging to the law in very legalistic ways. They still believed that it was what they did that made them Christians. So they were believing in Jesus, but they didn't fully understand what he had done for them. They still thought they had to do and work and attain and achieve and and earn their way into God's good grace. So the gospel of Jesus teaches that we become Christians by faith in Jesus. And that's what Paul was trying to get them to understand. And then we respond to that faith in good works. So Paul had these very strong words against legalism. And he calls those Judaizers dogs because dogs were a despised animal in that day. They were seen as dirty. They were seen as unclean. And the Jews would call Gentiles dogs. So in this statement, Paul is letting them know that while you're Jews, you're just like the Gentiles. You're just like the dogs that you claim, uh, you know, are, are unclean and unfit for God because you're relying upon your fleshly works. So he's saying you're just like the dogs. And then he even calls them evildoers. And that sounds really harsh because these people, it, we understand that they believed in Jesus, but they weren't following him by faith. They were still trying to earn. And he called them evildoers because they're still trusting in their own works. He's letting them know your works, they're they're just like evil before God because they're not righteous. You can't earn righteousness. Instead, you are to to allow Jesus to save you by faith in him. So their reliance upon the law, and it, it lessened their reliance upon God. And they were still trying to earn their way. And that's an important lesson for us, isn't it? Because don't we often think that our acceptance before our Heavenly Father, if we think it's based upon our ability or our inability to follow his law, now, we probably wouldn't claim that, but, but we will do that. We will tend to do that in our actions and the way we live our life because you think about it, you have a couple of good days and you remain morally strong and you're in God's word, your quiet time is good. And, and when that happens, don't you feel more acceptable to God? 
because you're basing it off of your works. On the flip side of that, you fall to temptation. You haven't been in his word well. You're not really praying like you should. So then you feel like you're no longer acceptable to God. You see, we in our mindset, our fleshly mindset, can tend to think that we're acceptable or not acceptable for God based on how good we're doing and based on our fleshly works. And that's what Paul's warning against here. So we end up going through this roller coaster of emotions concerning our salvation. And we think, I'm doing good. I'm in my quiet time. I'm reading God's word. I'm going to church regularly. Therefore, I'm acceptable before God. And then we, we struggle some and we get caught in a sin and we think, now I'm no longer acceptable before God. And we're basing it off of our works. And Paul's warning against that. He's saying you should be able to have a steady faith and a steady assurance in your salvation because it's not by your works, it's by faith in Christ. You see, the gospel says we're saved by faith in Jesus, not by the works of the flesh. Therefore, when we place our faith in Jesus, our Heavenly Father, He sees us as His children and He loves us unconditionally. Just like those of us who are parents, we know we love our children unconditionally. Doesn't matter what they've done or haven't done, we still love them. They're our children. And that's how God loves us when we place our faith in Jesus. Maybe you've seen this picture that's been going around social media lately. I found it a couple weeks ago and I saved it for this sermon. And uh, then I started seeing it everywhere. So you've probably seen it if you're on social media. But it speaks to the truth that Paul is getting across. The truth that religion or trying to follow a set of rules leaves us thinking like this first one. It says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. And you see, when we're caught up in a religious mindset, that's, how, that's what Paul's speaking against. That every time we think, oh, I messed up, I sinned, oh, my dad's going to kill me. So what we do is, I messed up, I sinned, I've got to run from God. I'm going to go hide from God. And that's as old as the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what they do? They tried to hide from God. They thought, I messed up, we've got to hide from Dad. He's going to kill us, he's going to take us out. And that's what we tend to do. So we run from him, thinking we can hide. But what the Gospel says is we should have the mindset of, I messed up, I need to call my dad. So you have a Heavenly Father who loves you unconditionally. And when you sin, you're just called to repent, to come to Him, to say, God, I've messed up, I've failed. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give me through my faith in Jesus. That's what the Gospel says. So stop running, stop trying to hide when you mess up. Just call dad. That's what Paul is trying to get across to them. Stop worrying about your works and all that and, and focus on faith in Jesus. You see, the Judaizers, they were, they were teaching falsely as well that everyone had to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. So they were telling all the Gentiles that they must undergo circumcision in order to be right in God's eyes. And they were saying, you've got to be circumcised or you're not. You're not in the club, right? And this is why Paul says, look out for the mutilators of the flesh. You see, there's nothing wrong with circumcision in itself, but it's wrong to teach that it's necessary for salvation. And Paul's saying, hey guys, you got it wrong. That's not what saves you. It's by faith in Jesus that you're saved. So he makes a, a little bit of a confusing statement in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, in Old Testament times before Jesus came, God's people were set apart from the Gentiles by circumcision. So it makes sense that they were hanging on to this, that they were still thinking that, well, you've got to be circumcised. That's the only way you can be in God's kingdom. But Paul's making it clear that because of Jesus Christ dying for the sins of all who believe in him, whether Jew or Gentile, that you can all become a part of God's family through faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, our lives as Christians, responding in faith to Jesus, bringing glory to Jesus by those new lives, 
we now then become the new circumcision. We no longer put confidence in the flesh. Even though we may have reason to boast, we do not boast. And Paul makes this clear in his next couple of verses because he had more reason than anyone to boast about his worldly accomplishments and what he had done as a Pharisee. In verses 4 through 7, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which meant that he was a Jew of Jews, right? They were following the laws found in Leviticus. And he says, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was, um, was just being a part of the tribe of Benjamin. That was a high honor. Benjamin was the only one of Joseph's brothers who was born in the promised land. So he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a descendant of the one who was born in the promised land, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, and Pharisees were known as though they followed the letter of the law. They were super strict about that. They were very legalistic. He's saying, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church because they believed that Jesus was a, was a heretic and they, they believed against him. So he was like, I was full on against this, this Christianity thing. And he says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul had an incredible resume. He had the best resume possible. There was no one who could claim their Jewish heritage and righteousness according to the law more than Paul could. And the Judaizers of that day would have loved to have had Paul's resume, so they understood that. And then he says, you know that resume? That lifelong body of work that I worked so hard for according to the law? He says, all that, all that's rubbish. None of that matters. He's saying, none of my family heritage even being one of God's chosen people as a true Jew, none of my, none of my rule following matters anymore. He's saying, because that doesn't earn me salvation, and it can't earn you salvation either. Paul learned that his works, his own righteousness, could not gain him anything. So he humbly claims, whatever I thought I had gained, it's all lost. And then he launches into what I think is the most important verse in this passage. It's verse 8, where he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Meaning there's nothing worth more than this. This is a surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What's a surpassing worth? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul realizes very important gospel truth that he is repeating for the Philippian church. He's saying true gain is found in knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can, you can press on in this life when you know Christ Jesus as Lord. All of the things this world, of this world seem trivial when you come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and when you seek him. Listen, we all suffer from this Pharisee syndrome at some time or another. Every one of us, I'm sure, I don't want to speak for you, but I know that, that for me, I've suffered from being like a Pharisee because we want to be pleasing to God. We desire to please Him. We desire to follow His laws. We strive to zealously attain perfection. We long for righteousness. And listen, we should desire those things, but we do not rely upon those things for our salvation. You see, the secret to righteousness is this. You will not attain it by your works. You will attain righteousness by humbly seeking to know Christ Jesus as Lord. You know, I had lunch this past week with a mentor of mine who just graciously pours into me, spends time with me, and will have lunch every so often, and just an encouragement to me. His name is Ken Eidelman, and he was the president of Ozark Christian College for several years. He pastored a church of over 4,000 in Evansville, just a, an, a godly, 
humble man who's had a lifelong ministry of success and and in a very timely way he spoke these words of encouragement to me that I just want to pass them on to you he said this he said he said you know I have learned throughout my life that what God wants most out of me is humility not righteousness you realize that what God desires out of you is humility not righteousness. Well, we get that backwards. We think, well, I've got to be righteous. I've got to work. I've got to strive. I've got to attain. I've got to achieve. I've got to have these works. And, and then we end, up, we end up in that roller coaster of faith wondering if we're, if we're seen as, as, as righteous in God's eyes. And we doubt that sometimes because we get this backwards. But this is what Paul's teaching right here. He's modeling it for us as well that when we humbly seek to know Jesus, it is through that humility and through that humbly seeking him that he makes us righteous. That's how we gain righteousness, is through humbly seeking Christ. And verse 9 says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. How do we get it? Through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Notice it doesn't say it depends on our works. It doesn't say it depends on our goodness. It doesn't say it depends on our ability to follow the law. It says it depends upon our faith. We've got to let that truth sink in today. Your righteousness before God depends upon your faith, not on your works. Having faith in Jesus is counted to you as righteousness. So listen, you can have faith. How, how do you have faith in someone that you don't know? How can we grow in our faith if we don't know Christ? And that's exactly why it's so important to know Jesus. Remember verse 8. He said, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, surpasses everything else. Knowing Christ Jesus as Lord surpasses anything in this world. Because it's through knowing him that we're made righteous before God. So how do we get to know him? I want to suggest just a couple of ways. I think number one. Keep joining us for worship on a regular basis to get to know Christ more. Every single week here, we're going to sing about Christ, we're going to preach about Christ, and we're going to learn about Christ. That's one simple way. You make the commitment say, I'm going to be at church as often as I can every weekend unless I'm just so sick I can't be there because I want to seek to know Christ more. And that's what we're going to do here together. Another is this, in your personal time, study the life of Jesus. You want to know where to start studying the Bible? Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. First four books of the New Testament, the gospel books. They teach about Jesus. You study them. You read them. You'll learn about how Jesus lived. You will see how he responded to people. You'll learn about how he depended completely upon his heavenly Father. And after you study the four gospels, then study every New Testament reference to Jesus. It's easy to find that. You can just Google it. And you'll find references to Jesus throughout the New Testament. And you can learn more about him. And once you're learning from Scripture, as you worship and as you pray, you ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of what you're learning from the Bible and to help you apply it to your life. You see, it's one thing to learn it, but we've got to apply it. If we just have head knowledge of Jesus, we don't really know him yet. If I just know about Michael Jordan, I don't know him. I've got to then apply that knowledge, and I've got to meet him, and I've got to talk with him, okay? And with Jesus, we can't just know about him. We've got to know him, and that means he's got to be in our heart. So we've got to seek to know him and learn more about him and be active in that. And then you know what? Once you're learning from Scripture on your own, study the Bible with others. You be in a connect group or a discipleship group. Those are launching the week after Easter. They're on break right now. We're going to be right back in them the week after Easter. We'll have sign-ups for those soon. But that's a great way to know more about Christ, to seek to know Christ, to, to grow in your knowledge of Christ, and then learn how to apply that knowledge in relationship with Christ. The bottom line is this. We need to make it our life goal 
to know Jesus as Lord. And to know him is not to know about him, it's to truly know him and have relationship with him. And it's through that that we gain righteousness by God's power, not our own power. Paul says that trusting in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, truly knowing Jesus, it's through knowing him that we gain righteousness. So that's the only thing that we need on our resume. When we bow before Almighty God for judgment, the only thing we need to know is Jesus. You see, God's not going to ask us about the good we've done. God's not going to ask us about how obedient we were. God's not going to ask us about how many goods did we do versus how many bad things did we do. God is going to say, did you know my son? That's it. That's what you need on your resume, to know Jesus. And when you know the Son, by placing your faith in the Son and by following the Son, then you are counted as righteous before God. And that's what is known as justification. Justification means it's just as if I'd never sinned because of what Christ has done. Martin Luther once called it the great exchange. I give Jesus my sin. Jesus gives me his righteousness. That's a great exchange. That's pretty awesome. I give Jesus my sin. He gives me his righteousness. What kind of deal is that? That's incredible. That's amazing. We should all desire that and say, I want to know Jesus more, and I want to hand my sin over to him so that I can have righteousness before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says it this way, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, meaning Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when we know Jesus, when we are in him, he takes our unrighteousness and he gives us his righteousness, the great exchange. There, there, there has to be, once we have that, there's this change that happens inside of us. So you see, it's not us trying to work and attain and earn our salvation. It's about receiving this righteousness from Christ. And when we receive this gift of righteousness from the Lord, through faith in him, we are changed from the inside out. Something begins to happen inside of us. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, when we truly know Jesus, we become like him. The more that we actively seek to know Jesus, the more that we actively seek to know him through studying and applying the Bible to our lives, through prayer time, through worship of the Lord, through connection with other Christians that encourage us in our Christian walk, the more we seek to know him, the more we become like him. Because the more you get into his word and his word gets into you and it changes your heart from the inside out, the more your thinking patterns begin to change as you think on Christ more. Your desires begin to change as you desire to honor the Lord. Your heart begins to change as you learn to love Christ as Christ loves you. Your mind changes as you begin to use the wisdom that's found in the Bible. And as you begin to learn from the Bible, that wisdom then begins to direct your life. Your actions and your attitudes and your motivations, they begin to change because of Christ in you, not because of anything that you're doing or anything that you have done. As the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it begins to change you and help you look more like Christ. And this is what's called sanctification. The process of becoming holy. The process of allowing God to, to grow you and to strengthen you and to make you more like Christ. You see, justification happens when you place your faith in Jesus. Meaning that positionally, you're seen as righteous and holy because of what Christ has done for you. Sanctification is where you now have a relationship with God and he's changing you to be more like Jesus. And that's the working out of your faith that Pastor Blake 
preached about last week. The beauty of, of working out your faith is this. When it gets tough, God does the heavy lifting. That's the beauty of working out your faith. You see, it's kind of like having a spotter when you're maxing out on the bench press, right? I know I don't look like a bodybuilder, but I've done some bench press before in my life, okay? And, and, and when you're trying to max out, what you're doing is you say you put some weight on the, on the bar as much as you can handle for maybe 10 reps, and, and you get to 10 reps, and then you keep going, and you get to 11, and you get to 12, and then, and then you're barely trying to lift that bar off your chest, and maybe you get to 13, and then when you're trying to get that next one, you just can't go any further. Your spotter then just kind of taps the bar a little bit, gives you a little bit of help, and then you're able to get it up there and then rack the bar. Okay, that is similar to what it looks like for God helping us work out our salvation. He tells us we have to put some effort in, and then when life gets tough, when it gets really hard, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he steps in, and he's your spotter, and he helps you. He, in the moment you feel like you're about to fail, if you're putting in the effort, he comes in, and he helps you to work it out. But listen, you can't expect to get there if you don't put in the effort. Think about it. You can't expect to be an athlete by just attending games. You can't expect to be a basketball player by sitting in the stands and watching the game all the time and knowing a lot about it. You have to get in to the game. Well, the same is true in our spiritual life. You can't expect to look more like Jesus if you simply attend a church or simply attend a Bible study. Those things are good. It's good to attend. But there comes a, part, a point where you've got to get in the game. You've got to put in the effort. If you show up to Bible study every single time and you've never done the homework, you've never done any preparation, you're, you just show up and you just are there and you say, I'm not going to do the homework, but I'm going to be here, then you're just attending. Now, I understand sometimes there might be a week that's really busy and you couldn't get to the homework. That's totally different than an attitude of, well, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to hope that some of this, you know, kind of sinks in and it changes me. We have to put in an effort. We have to do that effort to the point that, that okay, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm working, I'm, I'm working out my salvation, my salvation that God's given me, I'm working out those spiritual muscles to the point of failure, and when I get to that point, then God does the rest of the work that he prepared for us. So, so what does that look like? Well, the end of verse 10 says, becoming like him in his death. Well, how do we become like Jesus in his death? In his death, Jesus was completely obedient to his Father's will. So are we becoming like him? looking more and more like Christ? Are we putting in the effort? Are we wearing ourselves out for the sake of the gospel to the point that we're not sure if we have any more strength and then God steps in and kind of taps, or taps us a little bit to help us and give us the strength to get through? Are we becoming like Jesus? Are we becoming more obedient to the Father's will? You see, you and I are called to become like Jesus by dying to our own self-will and, and living according to our Heavenly Father's will. Listen, the reality of that is that's an impossible task. You're not going to be able to be fully obedient to God's will. Not if you trust in the flesh. Not if you trust in your own strength. Not if you just sit on the sidelines and attend and watch. You get there by putting in the effort and then allowing God to help. You see, God doesn't say, here's your gift of salvation. Now go try hard. Go work that out. Go clean yourself up. Go follow all the rules. Good luck. That's not what he says. God says, I'm going to help you. I'm your spotter. When life gets tough, I'm going to be there for you to, to help you and to nudge you and to push you forward in obedience. Now, you put in the effort to know Jesus, and then God will complete his work in you. 
Jesus explained it this way in John 14, 26. Look at the Amplified Version. It says, but the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things and will help you remember everything I have told you. How many of us need a comforter? How many of us need an advocate? How many of us need an intercessor on our behalf? How many of us need a counselor and a strengthener and a standby? I know I do. And we have to rely upon that Holy Spirit because He will comfort you when you need comfort. He is an advocate for you when you need an advocate before the Heavenly Father. He intercedes on your behalf. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty to intercede on behalf of all believers, those of us who place our faith in Him, who are seeking Him, who are striving to be like Him. He counsels us when we need counsel. He strengthens us when we need the strength to go on. And He's on standby, ready to jump in the moment you lack strength. You see, when you seek to know Jesus... The Holy Spirit empowers you from the inside out to be like Jesus. But we have those moments of failure, don't we? We have those moments where we look to the flesh. And that's where I'm so thankful for God's grace. Because he says it's not based on your works. You can't earn salvation. So your mess-ups, they can't lose your salvation either. You come before me, you repent. When you mess up, you call dad. That's what he's telling you. That's what the gospel message is. When you mess up, you call dad, you run to him. God, I'm sorry. I repent of that sin. I messed up again. And you rely upon the salvation that's offered you through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, and then when you die, it gets even better. Paul explains it this way, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul knows that Jesus resurrected from the dead and that somehow, by, by any means possible, however God's going to choose to do it, through faith in Jesus, Paul too would be raised from the dead one day. And that you and I, through our faith in Jesus, however God's going to do it, He's going to raise us from the dead one day to spend eternity with Him. God Almighty, who made mankind from the dust of the earth, can resurrect my body from the dust of the earth to live with Him for eternity. So hopefully, you desire to live with God for eternity. Paul says you can do that. And it's by the resurrection power of God that's available to you, to everyone, through faith in Jesus Christ. See, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus to receive the gift of salvation, I want to invite you to do that today. What better day to do that? You can simply come to the altar, humbly bow, pray to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life today. Desire to seek Him with your life and say, God, I'm thankful that Jesus died for my sins. I accept them, I repent of my sin, and I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. It's that simple. God says you receive salvation when you place your faith in Jesus. You know what, there's connect cards up here all along the altar, and, and maybe you come forward today and you, and you bow and you pray to receive Christ. I hope you would fill out this connect card and then, and then check baptism. That would be your next step. Baptism would be your next step, and, and baptism is an outward expression of our inward devotion to Jesus. You see, Jesus was even baptized, and he tells us to follow him and all that he did. And that baptism is that point where you're putting a marker in the sand. You're saying, I'm living my life to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm going to even follow him in his example of baptism, standing in the waters as my old self, going under the water, representing the death of Jesus, and coming out of the water, representing the resurrection of Jesus, and my resurrection into a new life. And I know there's some of you in here today that haven't been baptized yet. What, what would stop you? 
from coming up and filling out a card and saying, I want to be baptized to follow Jesus in every way that I possibly can. I want to seek him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, with everything that I have. This Easter Sunday, we're hoping to have baptisms. What better day than Resurrection Sunday to say, I'm going to be resurrected to a new life, and I'm trusting in that resurrection that is to come, that God will resurrect me from the ground to live with him for eternity. So I hope you'll come forward and fill one of those out, and, and maybe today's your day. Others of you, maybe you placed your faith in Jesus and you've already been baptized, but today, maybe you just need to recommit your life. You need to recommit to living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to come forward and say, I just need to seek to know Christ more. I've been trying in my own strength and I've, and I've, I've kind of had it backwards. I need to seek to know Christ more and then I know that through that, He's going to help me to live a life of obedience. I want to open the altar and invite you to come and do that. And I pray that every single one of us as we walk out of here today, that we will be able to say, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the ears of everyone who hears me, Christ in the eyes of everyone who sees me. May that be said of our lives. Let's pray. God, you are so, so good. To think that you would look upon us and you would see us in our weakness and you would know that, that we would stumble, that we would fall, that we would make mistakes, but that you in your good, awesome grace would say, I will forgive you. And here's the way. You just place your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, and I will give you his righteousness. God, I'm thankful for that. Because I know there are many times in my life that I just don't feel worthy of that. There are many times in my life that I really don't feel righteous. But I'm thankful that because of Christ, because of His sacrifice, because of Him giving that for me, that before you I can be seen as your child, holy and righteous and pure and spotless. And God, I'm so grateful for that. Father, I pray for those in this room today who need to come and just bow a knee and say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and I'm seeking Him now. God, would you give them the the courage to just come and take a knee and to fill out a connect card. God, there's people in this room that need to be baptized. They need to take that, that stand and say, I'm going to follow Jesus in every way that I can. And he makes it clear in his word that we're to repent and be baptized. So I'm going to be baptized. I pray for those that are, that's on their heart that they would come and fill out a connect card and we can follow up with them and what would it look like for Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, for us to baptize several people and celebrate their walking in obedience to your word. Father, may we remember that even when we fail, we can come running to you, our dad. We can call out to you, repent of our sin, and we can be assured that we are righteous because of the blood of Christ. But Father, we surrender before you today we thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue the series, Press On. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.